This show is supported by the BS Podcast Network. They got tons of great content over there. Please go check them out. In addition, sometimes I say things on this show that sounds like medical advice. I can tell you right now it's not. If you want medical advice, go talk to your doctor, not me. By supporting this show, you're supporting a cause. That cause is making science accessible for everyone. Thank you for your support. Hey, welcome back to part four of the four-part series about understanding water through the seasons. In this episode, we're going to introduce one more topic, and that's heat capacity. We're going to be discussing its importance, and we're also just going to be kind of wrapping up everything we talked about the last four episodes and trying to bundle it up in one big package. Let's get into it. I have a degree in integrative sciences, which is specifically designed to provide an interdisciplinary education of both physical and life sciences. I use that education to identify and explain the intersection of science and the world around us. If you stick around to the end of this episode, I have an extremely exciting announcement that you're definitely going to want to hear. By the end of this episode, you'll have an understanding of heat capacity, and you'll be able to identify the science of water in the world around you. The concept that I wanted to introduce today is called heat capacity, or specific heat capacity. Specific heat capacity is really, by definition, the amount of energy required to change the temperature of one gram of a substance by one degree Celsius. So specific heat is the ability or the amount of energy to change one gram of water by one degree Celsius. One gram of water is about one milliliter, and to give you an idea in terms of customary units, one milliliter is about five teaspoons. The concept of heat capacity is how much energy it requires to change the temperature of one gram of a substance. Water has an extremely high specific heat, or an extremely high heat capacity. And therefore, it means it it requires a lot of energy to change one gram of water one degree. Understanding that water has a high specific heat capacity means that we can start to understand why we use water as a coolant in a lot of industries. But how much energy are we actually talking about? Well, to be specific, we are talking about 4.186 joules. Now, that's the amount of energy for every gram of water. Okay, so for one milliliter of water or one gram of water requires 4.186 joules. If it we're talking about, you know, a liter of water, we're talking about 4.186 times a thousand joules. So joules is just a unit that we use to describe energy. And it's really all you need to know is that water requires a lot of energy to heat up and cool down and change temperature overall. To give you an idea how much energy we're kind of talking about here, to change two liters of water, which is about 2,000 grams, to change two liters of water by one degree, by one degree Celsius, it requires 8,372 joules. If we applied that same amount of energy every second, right, so every second is another 8,372 joules, that would be equivalent to about 11 horsepower. 
right? The standard car engine is about 120 horsepower, but in reality, some smaller cars are only producing like 70 to 90 horsepower. Okay, so if we're applying that much energy just to heat two liters of water, what about things like the ocean? And what about things like lakes and streams? How much energy do they require to change one degree Celsius? This concept of heat capacity also has a lot to do with temperature change in the atmosphere. And the temperature change and how quickly it changes is directly based on the moisture in the air, right? Because when we're trying to change the temperature of the atmosphere that is very moist, we have to take into consideration the specific heat capacity of water. So water is going to absorb all of that energy that is trying to go into changing the temperature. If we look at really dry areas such as the desert, that's why there are huge temperature changes in the desert because there's no moisture in the air to, you know, regulate that temperature change. Also, if you go to a coastal city, it's the exact opposite. Because coastal cities have so much moisture in the air, it requires a lot more energy to change the temperature of the atmosphere. So that's really heat capacity in a nutshell. There's a lot more science and a lot more physics and thermodynamics and you know higher level science that goes into explaining that. However, it's really outside the scope of this episode. The reason why I wanted to leave heat capacity to the very end is because I think it's really important to understand that when we change from summer to fall, that's a really critical time because the temperature starts to drop dramatically. And when that temperature is dropping, if it dropped too fast, it would kill off all the fish in the aquatic life if it weren't for heat capacity. Because heat capacity exists and because it requires so much energy for water to change its temperature, it can really slow down how quickly that water changes. And as a result, it doesn't shock the fish, it doesn't kill the fish. So why put this in fall? Not only for that reason, but what is fall? What is autumn? What does it represent? In North American culture, it really represents closure of the year, harvest, you know, we're, we're preparing for winter. And in many ways, these concepts that we discussed throughout this series come together. Fall is really notorious for the changing of the leaves on trees. The reason why leaves change is actually a result of decreased light, decreased sunlight, and decreased temperature. Although it's not directly related to water, the reason why some areas have a really quick change in the color of leaves versus others is because that temperature change is going to be regulated based on different parts of the world and how much moisture is in the air there. In fall, a lot of the plants and a lot of the foliage also starts dying down. And there's a few reasons for this. You have to remember that when temperature changes, the phase of the matter, such as water, in plants changes as well. So most plants won't survive survive freezing temperatures or colder temperatures, for that matter, because if that water freezes at all, it'll kill the plant. When water freezes, it expands, right? And when it expands in the plant's cells, it actually bursts the cells, and as a result, the cell dies. And if this happens throughout the entire plant, the entire plant will die. 
Secondly, as the ground starts to freeze, water becomes less readily available, and that also kills the plants because it needs water to live, right? We also notice in the fall that fish actually change their diet. The foliage that was once available in the summer is no longer available in the winter or in the fall because of that changing of the seasons and that changing of temperature and plants dying off. So fish actually have to switch their diet around. It also, we notice that fish actually have a slower metabolism in the colder months, such as fall and winter, and they actually change location in the water. Remember how we talked about stratification of the water layers in a lake? That's the same reason why fish are moving. They actually kind of sit towards the bottom because it's not interacting with the air. And if ice or uh, some other thing forms on top of the water on top of the lake, it provides some sort of insulation too. So it keeps the bottom of the lake really warm. Like I said before, heat capacity allows the water temperature change to happen slowly. So it doesn't shock or kill off the fish or any other wildlife for that matter. However, there are some things that do stay the same. As long as water is liquid and pure, adhesion, cohesion, capillary action will continue to work. The second that it starts changing phases though, it doesn't become like it's no longer liquid. So those things don't work as well. Additionally, we talked about watercolor a few episodes back and watercolor is often impacted at this time of year as well because when these leaves come down and these leaves fall, whether they fall into a lake or they fall into a stream, they get broken down. And remember we talked about broken down organic material can change the color of water. Additionally, if there's a lot of trees around a lake and the the leaves fall and land on the lake itself, surface tension is going to hold the leaves on top of the water. And that's also going to impact the amount of light that passes into the water. That's also going to then impact how quickly that water temperature changes. Lastly, I really just want to wrap this series up and kind of go over what we talked about. When we talked about winter, we talked about how phases of matter can change between solid, liquid, and gas. Remember, these phases of matter are defined by temperature ranges. When water drops below 32 degrees Fahrenheit or 0 degrees Celsius or 273 degrees Kelvin, it freezes and it becomes ice. It changes its phase of matter. Unless it's a salt water mixture, right? Because remember, we talked about how mixing salt into its wa- into water can actually lower the freezing point. In the winter episode, we also talked about density and that ice is less dense than water because the number of water molecules doesn't change. It just changes the volume that it takes up. As a result, it be- it's less dense than water. I then went on to compare how all of this understanding of density and phases of matter changing, how that relates to glaciers and sea ice and why it's important to understand melting at the poles and how that is going to have a vast impact on us in terms of climate change. In the spring episode, episode two, we discussed adhesion, cohesion, capillary action. And we said that if we imagine water molecules as magnets, We can begin to understand how these three things work, right? Adhesion is when water binds to other things. Cohesion is when water binds to itself. And capillary action is a force that allows water to move through plants and move through other surfaces as well. We also mentioned how those three things are absolutely critical to life on Earth. 
Additionally, we explored the color of water in that episode as well and how it indicates the quality of water. The way it can do that is because when there are different things or different uh, pollutants dissolved in the water, it's going to change the water color. We discussed salt making it appear like grayish, blackish. We discussed organic material causing it to look yellowish. We discussed rust and iron causing it to look a little bit more reddish, brownish, right? All of these things impact the watercolor, and as a result, we can use that watercolor to indicate its quality. We then went on to compare all of those properties, adhesion, cohesion, capillary action, watercolor. We compared that to when snow melts in the springtime, and all this runoff is generated. And as a result, we need to be conscious of what we're putting down on the roadways because the runoff is going to carry it into our water systems. In episode three, we moved on to summer, and we talked about surface tension, compressibility, and light. And then I went on to give you 10 examples of how surface tension, compressibility, and light show themselves in the world around us. For surface tension, we talked about belly flopping and water striders. Compressibility, we talked about how hoses work and squirt guns. And then we talked about how light is bent in water and how we get rainbows. And again, it's important to remember that understanding these properties of water, understanding water for what it is and the science behind it allows us to just explain some of the world around us. And if we can explain the world around us, we can start to draw conclusions about problems. And lastly, in this episode, we talked about the symbolic conclusion of fall and what that means and kind of what that means for this series as well. Uh, we brought in one more concept, which was heat capacity. Remember, heat capacity is how much energy is required to change one gram of a substance by one degree Celsius. We talked about how water has a high heat capacity, and as a result, we can use that as a coolant because it's able to absorb a lot of energy and keep things from heating up too much. If you listened to every single episode of the series or you watched it, I really want to thank you. I know that these episodes were a bit shorter and a bit lighter on content. However, if I tried to put all of these concepts into one episode about water, it would have been way, way, way too much. And you probably would have had about an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minute episode of just water. And no one really wants to listen to me ramble on about water for that long. I have actually two exciting announcements that I want to bring up today. First... If you really enjoyed this series on water, there is a fifth episode, except it's going to be exclusive on Patreon. So follow the link in the description down below, follow the link in the show notes, or you can go to the website, uh, the podcast website, www.buzzsprout.com forward slash basically science. If you go there, you can actually find uh, the Patreon link. Join Patreon. You'll have access at any tier to the fifth episode in this series, Water and Its Use in the Body. In that episode, I'm going to go on and break down exactly how we use water in the body and why it's extremely important. We're going to talk about hydration and we're going to talk about how water gets used to make energy and why it's extremely important in that sense as well. The second exciting announcement, one of my dearest friends from college 
will be joining us on this journey. When I first created this idea of the podcast, basically science, it was designed to be a podcast that is co-hosted. Now, one of my best friends from college who I, I really vibe with, and we both have the same passion for science, I think it's going to be really exciting for you guys to see that we're going to be turning this into more of a conversation base. And each episode, one of us is going to be presenting a topic just the same way that I do here, except it's not just going to be me talking, and instead it's going to be more conversational, and it's going to be a little bit lighter, and it's going to be a lot more fun. So I really hope you're looking forward to that. Next week is going to be the first episode where it's going to be co-hosted me and my buddy Parker Adams, and we are going to absolutely enjoy this next episode. I hope you do too. I'll see you then. As always, you can follow the show on Science Basic Pod on Twitter. Make sure you hit subscribe down on YouTube if you're watching on YouTube. Hit a like button if you learned something today. Leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe or follow on Spotify. You know, do whatever you got to do to make sure that you keep getting this content every Monday when it comes out. Thank you.